Habits and Health, Episode 70. Welcome to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. My guest this week is Magic Barclay, who treats using holism, looking at the whole body and all the systems rather than reductionism as many other doctors and naturopaths do. They treat in isolation by reducing symptoms and she rather looks at things from the root cause. Why do they get sick in the first place? Why is XYZ happening to that person? And not this is how it feels, so therefore I'm going to treat that. She also looks at mold, she's a mold toxicity master. Mold is the most prolific survivor amongst organisms and it suppresses your immune system in ways you can't imagine. So we're getting into a lot about that and immunity and functional health solutions and many other things. That's today's episode with Magic Barkley. And if you know anyone who would get some value from this episode, please do share it with them. Habits and Health, my guest today is Magic Barkley. How you doing, Magic? Hey, I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm very well. We're back in Australia today. Funnily enough, I, I spoke to someone from Australia a few weeks ago and that episode just went live about an hour ago. That's so, so cool. It's not often I speak to Aussies. It's usually Brits or Americans. So we're back in Australia today. It's a great country here and we're just coming into autumn, so fall in the US. And yeah, the seasons are changing, but we just have the most beautiful bushland all year round. And are you from Australia? Were you born there? I am. I was born here. I was born in Melbourne. Now I right. live outside Melbourne. But I've travelled a couple of countries around the world and I still come back to the Aussie bush. What is it you do to help people, Magic? I'm a holistic practitioner. And many people think the word holistic should start with an H. I think it should start with a W because I treat using holism. So I treat the whole body as one, including the mind and the spirit. And yeah, I don't use reductionism like most doctors and unfortunately naturopaths tend to do. Everything works in synergy. Can you remember what made you first think of going down that route? Yeah, it was my own journey, really. A few life-changing medical mishaps through no fault of my own. Well, some of it was, but not all of it. And a little bit of medical malpractice thrown in there, unfortunately. And I went, I'm going to die. I actually had to tell my kids when they were 12 and 14 that this is it, mum's going. And wow. the look on their faces changed the trajectory of my life and I went well no I don't have to accept this this is not right I've got too much to do they need me so I started looking into natural health and all things that the earth can what, provide what was it that you were told that made you say that to your kids what did they tell you I had you? stage four cancer is what they told oh, me right. they also had contracted Lyme disease at the same time and right. they told me I had diabetes just right. in case one thing wasn't going to get me and this and I said no not going to happen not today and so what happened from there yeah so I started looking into all kinds of natural therapies I raised some money took myself off to Bali to a juice fast to give myself some time to think and be around people that maybe didn't take the medical model 
as gospel. I'd been raised, don't question it. Most of my family were doctors or pharmacists. You do what you say and you take a pill. And so I spent a week with some amazing people that kind of didn't think like that. And that gave me the strength to come home and go, okay, I can do this. I don't have to leave my kids behind. And uh, yeah, I'm now seven years in remission. Everything's going fine. I get to enjoy my life and work for myself and spend time with my kids who are now adults who still live with me. And we share a lot of passions. So we get a sniffle, we go out to the garden, we pick a few herbs, we use a lot of essential oils. We don't run away from what our bodies present as a challenge. We see it as an opportunity now. Everything happens for a reason. I definitely live by that one now. And that includes when you're not feeling well. What further changes did you make? that helped to to go into remission? I guess the biggest thing was I changed our household. I used to be, when the kids were little, a fanatical cleaner. Like something dropped on the floor and that floor was mopped within seconds. And it wasn't just mopped to be clean, it was mopped to be sterile. So we started living a less sterile life. (laughs) And I know that might make some of your listeners cringe, but... As I said, I use things from the earth now, so I will use essential oils, essential oil-based cleaners. And so now I'm okay with if my I have indoor cats. If my cats eat something off the floor, they're not eating chemicals. So chemicals was the first thing to go from my family's lifestyle. All our self-care products, I started making all my own makeup. And literally, if I can't eat the products we're using, we don't use them. So we have a little production line once a month. We make all of our own products for the house, for our bodies. And, yeah, so that was a big thing, cutting toxicity. When you started to make those changes, how did your kids react when you started making your own things? What was their initial reaction? (laughs) It's really funny you say that. Mum, you're a nut. Why are we doing this? Like, you name it, they questioned it. And they're kids. They should do. Unfortunately, I played the guilt card on them. And I said, we can do this or mummy might get sick again. And they were like, all right, we'll make this. It's all right. We'll do it. But that wore off and they eventually realised I was guilting them into compliance. Now we discuss things. They're older. We discuss things now. One of them still thinks I'm a nutcase, but he goes along with mum because what's the alternative? While I was sick, my now ex-husband decided that was a good time to throw in the divorce while I was actually in hospital fighting the cancer. And when I say in hospital, I had the surgery because I didn't know any better to have a cancerous organ removed. But I didn't go any further. I didn't do chemo or radiation because that just seemed completely crazy to me, even before I was more into natural things. So, yeah, while I was in the surgery, literally the doctor had my neck cut open, taking my thyroid out. My mother was babysitting and she opened the door to papers saying I was being divorced in court. So good timing. Anyway, get one thing cut out and get another thing cut out the same day. It's pretty cool. But anyway, yeah, the battle in court went on and I realised 
I wasn't getting any better. The longer I had to fight this, I was seeing friends that I'd had for years turn their backs on me. A divorce is one of those things where people that you think are going to be your ride or die all of a sudden jump onto a different horse and go the different direction. And so that was a big learning curve for me that maybe I hadn't chosen the right friends. Maybe I had been doing more for my friends than I should have. And that's why they were friends with me, because of what I could do for them. Because here I was fighting cancer, fighting in the law courts, fighting for my kids, and no one was fighting for me. So I started cutting these toxic people out. So that was our next step. And I really had to teach my kids, say what you want to say. If people don't like it, that's not your problem. Just be you. And if they run for the hills, then they're doing that to protect you because they don't deserve to be part of your life. And that was a really big life lesson for me. And so where did you go from there? What happened next? So from there, I'd cut out toxic products, toxic cleaning supplies, toxic people. And, of course, I had to really look at what I was doing for a living. So I'd been in health and fitness. I'd had my own gym. Being sick, unfortunately, meant a lot of my weight came back. I'd just published a book on weight loss, which was a bestseller. And then my body decided to change the direction of my life again. And weight is a symptom. It's not the problem. And as I said, everything happens for a reason. Number one, best-selling author on weight loss gains weight. Why? What's going on here? What am I missing? So I really changed the direction of my career. I threw myself back into study. I did my advanced diploma of complementary medicine. I looked at functional health and functional medicine. I've done my advanced mentorship. I'm on my third round of that. I looked into some PhD work and really changed what I was doing. And I guess that brings me to today, seven years on from one of the worst days of my life, literally when they tell you you've got cancer. And the only way I can describe it is I was like the chicken exodus. Sorry, the exorcist. I guess I'm having an exodus in my mind because I took an exodus from the medical system that day partially. But when I was told I had cancer, my head was spinning around on my shoulders. I don't remember anything else from that conversation. And so I now look back seven years on and I go, wow, if I knew then what I know now, when this doctor told me I had cancer, I would have thanked her for a time, probably thrown something at her because why not, and walked out. Instead, it took me through all the things it did and I'm here today as a holistic practitioner. So like I said, everything happens for a reason. I now know what I know and I can help other people. I actually got a new thyroid client today and they're telling her they need to get the thyroid out. It's going to kill her. And I've looked at her blood tests and there's nothing wrong with it. And I keep telling her, your thyroid's not the problem. You've got unaddressed infections from your childhood, which are the problem. You've got a leaky gut syndrome, which is part of the problem, and you've got inflammation. So let's treat that. Like I said, 
Would I have done that seven years ago? Probably not. What kind of people are you working with now? Is it always one-to-one or are you also working with people in group programs? I mainly work one-to-one. Consultation remotely, of course, the world's changed, so I've stayed remote through my own choices. But I do some group programs. I actually work as an instructor. I mentioned my mentorship. That can be found on innateimmunity.com. And I'm actually one of the instructors for a component called the PNEI of trauma. So it's the psychoneuroendoimmunology of trauma. Now, remember I said everything is connected, everything in the body as a whole. So the things that you think, the psycho-emotional effects, then affect the neural system, so the neuro, which affects your hormonal system, the endo, and it has a down-the-chain result in your immune system, so the immuno. And things that happen in your childhood can pop up 50 years later and can be a neural dysfunction, can be an endocrine dysfunction or an immune dysfunction. And that's what I'm seeing a lot now. So I teach other practitioners how to treat that. Are there many people in Australia taking this more holistic functional medicine type approach? I think there are, yeah. I think there's a lot more people out there now. Like I said, the world's changing and I don't know what it's like where you are in the UK, but here in Australia, we've always been one of these countries, she'll be right, it's okay, it's not as bad as that. If someone else will do it, she'll be right, mate. That's changed now. So a lot of people are now going, hmm, government's telling us one thing. Our bosses are telling us one thing. It doesn't sit well. I'm, I'm going to do another thing. So there's really a big shift now to going back in time, particularly in health, and saying I'm in control of my body. I'm in control of what I do with it, and I want to know the reasons why you say X, Y, Z. So that's really building my practice a lot, and my team are very busy as well. Because we're getting a lot of people that are leaving mainstream medicine saying, this just doesn't make sense. Can you explain it to me? I'm not sold on what you're doing, but it just doesn't make sense what I'm being told. You mentioned just now about the book, best-selling weight loss book. Where did that come into? How long ago was that, the book? So the book was published in 2015, so seven years ago. Literally, it... I was sick while I was writing it and I didn't know how sick I was. So I'd written every chapter bar the last one and it was like really sciencey, a lot of data in there and a lot of research. And then the last chapter you get to it and it's like different. And that's because I wrote that post-surgery. So it was a lot more me. It was a lot more authentic, that last chapter. And, yeah, so it got published on Amazon, went number one straight away. I was literally up one night, like the first night it was up, and watching it tick over. And then it got into bookstores. I did a press junket for it around the country and a little bit overseas via radio. And I was really proud of this book. Not so much for what it was about, and people think, oh, it's a weight loss book, it's about someone telling you how they lost this weight and how you can do it too. It's more about learning to love yourself. 
So it's called Stop Being Fat, Love Yourself Skinny. And it's not about your actual weight. It's about the weight that you carry of opinions of yourself. And so I guess that's where the last chapter really, like I said, it's different to the rest of the book, but it seals the whole thing. And you, you read all the sciencey data stuff and then you get to this last chapter and it's this chick going, okay, but if you don't love you, you're going to get fat again. And that was something I was learning as I was writing the books. Obviously, I got sick. I did get fat again. But that wasn't my only book. That, I guess, was one of my middle books, probably my most successful, though. What books have you gone on to do since then? Prior to Stop Being Fat, Love Yourself Skinny, I wrote a cookbook for my kids. They're both on the autism spectrum. So I looked into foods that were triggering them foods that were triggering the behaviours, mainly gluten and dairy, which now we know can be quite bad, but some other things too. And so that was gut recovery in whole foods that sold out, I self-published and that sold out within two months. So there are a lot of other mums out there going, when I feed my kid ABC, they do DEF, mm, not so good. So that was one of them. I also contributed to the Complete Health Series Volume 2 and I wrote there from the heart about disability and about loss. My sons had a mentor who used to be a para-Olympian in Australia and unfortunately he was a swimmer. Unfortunately, he took his own life. And so I wrote in that book about when we have a different ability, so mainstream calls it disability. In my household, it's a different ability. So when you have a different ability, sometimes you just need a safety net. You need a support network. And so that was my contribution to that book. And I also wrote Body Dysmorphia, Bring the Hidden Enemy Out of the Shadows. And that's from my own experience. So I, post being super morbidly obese, have body dysmorphia. And I actually went shopping last week and... I had to buy a top for my birthday. So it was my 50th birthday and I had to buy a top. And I literally found something wrong with everything in every store. And the friend that was with me, very tall, very skinny, could wear anything off the rack. And she was like, do you know you look fantastic in everything you've tried? You've got great taste. It all looks good. And I went, oh, I know, but it's this and it's that. And she knows I have body dysmorphia and she said, okay, the next shop that we're going into, which happened to be the last shop in the whole shopping centre and one I would never even go into normally, she said, the next shop, I want you to turn your back to the mirror, face the door of the fitting room and then come out and show me. Don't look in the mirrors, just show me and I will give you my honest opinion, I promise you. And I said, how can I trust you? You're my friend. You're going to say something nice anyway. And she actually doesn't. She calls it the way she sees it. And she called me on it. She goes, if you look terrible, I'm going to bloody well tell you. Put the top on. I came out. She goes, you don't look terrible. You look great. Do not look in the mirror. Go back. Take the top off. Get back into your street clothes and let's go. So, yeah, last weekend was my birthday. I wore the top and everyone commented on how great I looked and I was like this can be done and I guess the moral of the story is when you don't trust what your eyes are seeing trust the people around you but make sure those people around you 
really will tell you the truth. And sometimes it's not something you want to hear. But my body dysmorphia means I do have to trust the people around me. And writing the book on that was a little bit heartbreaking, very eye-opening, but also completely cathartic. On the body dysmorphia, how many years do you think you've been you've been having that? I actually, um, yeah, great question. I think I had it all along. So prior to my kids, I was anorexic. I never had a good relationship with food or the food never had a good relationship with me. Not sure chicken or the egg there. But, yeah, I was anorexic prior to kids. And then I found out I was pregnant with son number one. Of course, my body wasn't healthy, hadn't had nutrients for years. I lived off French champagne, coffee and one meal a week. And then I got pregnant. Like, how about we just start from behind the eight ball? And, yeah, I gained a lot of weight. So then post-childbirth, I had this body that I had spent the past 10 years trying to not have, which was a mum body. And everyone can imagine, you know, it's got rolls on it and it's got extra layers of, of fluffiness, let's just say, because you've given life to someone. I couldn't cope with that. So I went on this path of self-hatred and... Before I knew it, I was pregnant again, gained more weight, actually lost that baby, and then bingo, six months later, pregnant again, had that baby and was super morbidly obese. And I described the way I looked then after two and a bit kids was, if you remember the movie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the original one, and there's the little little blueberry girl that chews the gum no she licks the wall or something anyway she blows up into a blueberry and she's got this tiny arms and tiny feet and tiny head out of this big blueberry body that's how I felt and to go from being looking like olive oil I'm quite well endowed upstairs but I was as skinny as a beanpole with my upper body in in enhancements I guess natural enhancements, going from that to being the blueberry girl from Charlie in the Chocolate Factory was a big shift, a big swing. And where the body dysmorphia comes in is I couldn't see any of it. So before I got big, I thought I was big. When I did get big, I thought I was even bigger. And then when I started losing weight, I still thought I was bigger. And so that stayed with me. I thought I was super morbidly obese even when I wasn't. Fast forward to writing Stop Being Fat, I actually had shed over half my body weight and I still thought I was 145 kilos when I was 69 kilos at the time. And it was really through learning, through my writing and through my studies that I really had to look at what my eyes are seeing is not the truth. So I have to go by what's in my heart. I have to go by how I feel. So that's what I've been teaching my clients pretty much since then is the weight on the scales are just numbers. Go by the clothes that you're wearing. Go by how you feel. Go by what you're capable of and go by what you want to achieve. That's the main thing. And so that was the biggest thing for me. And we talk about habits in your podcast. My habit was to put myself down to protect myself from other people doing it. 
So it was like, before you can hurt me, I'm going to do it myself, whether it was through my weight, whether it was through how I envisioned my weight, whether it was just through any other pathway of self-destruction, you name it, I did it. That was my habit that I had to break. We hope you are enjoying this episode of the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. One of the areas many people struggle with when it comes to their habits is healthy eating. That's why, once a month, Tony hosts a completely free nutrition webinar. You'll get practical tips on everything from meal preparation to snacking, grocery shopping, family-friendly recipes, and more. We invite you to register for the next nutrition webinar at TonyWinyard.com. Now back to the show. The clients that you have now, do, do many of them have body image issues? Funnily enough, no, they don't. People will say to me, oh, I hate being the way I am. And I say, how are you? What is it that you hate? And not many of them say their body. A lot of them will say things that they're thinking or they'll say I'm really quick to judgment of other people. And so I say, then stop doing that. Why are you doing that? Oh, it makes me feel better. Okay, what other things make you feel better? There's always something else you can do. But no, not many of them have body image issues, but occasionally I'll get one or two and I will see it pretty much straight away and I'll just say, hey, look, I've walked in your shoes. I still do. I still can't go into a store and look in the mirror. So that's okay. That doesn't mean your life's about to end. It just means that you don't look in the mirror. You take a trusted friend and you do that. And most things I buy now, I buy online, particularly clothes. And I take the gamble and I just see it as, well, this is an adventure because returning things online is notoriously difficult here in Australia. And so I take it as a gamble. I'll buy a top because I like it. I know if I buy it from an Asian retailer when it says XL, I have to buy 4XL. I get that's no judgment on my size. It's just that Australians are bigger people. Let's put it that way. If something doesn't fit, I give it away. And that's not the end of the world, really. You touched upon habits, and habits is obviously a central theme of this show. What habits would you say have been the most helpful? I guess one of the biggest habits that's been most helpful is a morning routine. I'm a very light sleeper. I don't sleep much past the sun rising. I always look forward to a sleep-in. But a sleep-in for me is 7 o'clock in the morning because the sun's been up for 20 minutes. I see it coming through the edges of the curtain and I'm like, bing, eyes open, let's go. So for me, a morning routine is key. So I get up, I have my bottle of structured water, so I have some minerals in there, some salt, some vitamin C and lemon juice, some essential oils. I slog that down, I put my shoes on and whatever clothes come to hand and god knows sometimes it's quite interesting and I go outside so I get the early morning sun I get the sunrise and I walk for about an hour and I do that because then it helps the bacteria in my gut make melatonin so I can sleep better the next night and pray for a sleep in that never happens and uh, so I do my walk I come back I have another bottle of structured water and then I sit in my sauna for about 45 minutes and in there that's my reading time that's my downtime so at the moment I'm reading a book called The Energy Codes 
Recently, I read The Courage to Be Disliked. My 45 minutes in the sauna is my reading time. And so I sit there, I have it blasting hot, I have the colour therapy lights going around the top, and then I have my shower. And that's when my day starts. So I never do anything before 9 o'clock in the morning because for the first two hours it's my morning routine. Simple as that. The shower doesn't take me very long because that would just be a waste of time. It's very efficient. I actually have textures in my shower and just above the waterline I write notes because I do a lot of my best thinking when I'm in the shower. So I'll write random notes pop into my head that I might need to blog about or podcast about or write about or anything, even mention to the team, like we've got this client today and this came to me in the shower and they're used to that now. It's not weird. That's where she does her thinking. Okay. So, yeah, that's my morning routine and that's, I guess, the biggest habit that I've formed and it's my non-negotiable. So I recently went camping for a weekend with some friends and we went out to the bush in Australia and we're in our swags and because I didn't have my sauna, that was a bit weird, but I still went for my walk and then we didn't have a shower. So I went back to my swag, lay on my back and I had a little whiteboard pinned to the top of my swag and I was doing all my thinking there. I was still doing as much of it as I could because that's important. That's my not negotiable. You mentioned about the various books that you've written. Do you have any plans to do any books in the near future? I actually do. I have another book coming. The thing is I can't decide what it's about. I think I'd probably like to do one about turning 50 because that was a big thing for me. I never had a plan past 21. I did my very best to write myself off before 21 and at the age of 21 here in Australia we had an airline called Compass they're no longer around and they did mystery flights so what would happen was you'd rock up to the airport they'd give you a drink of your choice alcoholic drink because in Australia we all drank back then this was the 90s then and they'd blindfold you and they wouldn't say over the speakers or anything where you were going or what the temperature was going to so you just wouldn't know it's about a hundred dollars to get onto this mystery flight on my 21st birthday I boarded a mystery flight with a vodka and orange in my hand and I woke up three days later back at my house in Adelaide where I was living at the time and I had vodka and raspberry next to me and I was in a different set of clothes and I still have no idea where I went what I did or anything like I said i didn't have a plan past 21 and here I am now I've got a business I've got two grown kids I live near the bush and I'm 50 so I think I might write the next book about living without a plan because it's been pretty fun along the way so far. Staying with books and is there well I think you've already mentioned that a book that's really moved you in, in some way. Yeah, so recently, as I mentioned, I read The Courage to Be Disliked and I couldn't even quote much about that to you because it just filled my psyche. But the thing I got from that, I guess the most, the title says it all. Other people's opinions of you are actually none of your business. We look for redemption through other people's opinions. 
And then if they dislike us, we take that as gospel. So we bend over backwards out of 10 people to try and please the one or two that really don't like us. But we ignore the one that might be sitting on the fence and then we definitely ignore the seven that are behind us the whole way. And so we twist our lives to please people that were never going to like us. So we really do have to form that courage and go, you don't like me? That's cool. That's okay. That's not my problem. That's your problem. When you started talking about the body dysmorphia and then that you like this book so much, I wondered whether you took some of the great advice and suggestions he gave in that book to use for the body dysmorphia. I certainly did, and I'm going to have to listen to the book again. So I listened to it while I was walking, and then I listened to it and read it in my sauna. Yeah, a lot really resonated with me around the body dysmorphia. And apart from my recent shopping trip, there really hasn't been a time since I read The Courage to Be Disliked that my body image got in the way of my life. As I said, I went camping with a bunch of friends, we're all female. We'd never put our tents up before. At no point in time did I think, I don't know how to do this, I can't do this, why don't we have a guy with us? I, I just went, oh, well, we'll just try it, and if it doesn't work, then the swags will end up being giant sleeping bags on the ground. That's okay, because it doesn't matter what anyone thinks. The book has really helped me not sweat the small stuff. It is a, a really good book. It's fantastic. If people want to find out more about you, Magic, where are the best places for them to look? So the best places are the website, which is holisticnaturalhealth.com.au, and that's Holistic with it in front of it. Also on Facebook, Holistic Natural Health Australia, on Instagram, Holistic Natural Health, or with the W in front. And also you can see my books at magicbarclay.com. So the books are listed there. Most of them are now completely sold out. But as I said, there's still some copies of Stop Being Fat, Love Yourself. When you talk about Holistic with a W, did you ever read the book Whole by Colin T. Campbell? Yes, I'm actually looking at it on my shelf as we speak. Yes, that was a big factor in me naming company what I have. And really, as I I said, looking into holism because it's not something I was raised on. I was raised right. very much with reduction. Like I said, most of my family were doctors and pharmacists. Right. Treat in isolation, take a pill, hope it gets better. If it doesn't, we do this all over again. So, right. yeah, I love Whole by T. Colin Campbell. And, and to finish, do you have a quotation that you like? Yeah, so I actually wrote one. I mentioned to you just off air, I reread it and I was like, wow, that's a really cool quote. And that is, swim against the current, frolic in the waves, live in the now and let the fun begin. What were you thinking when you wrote that? (laughs) I actually wrote that I was in a seven-day challenge to write quotes. And it was as I was coming out of all the legal dramas with my ex-husband. And I won the competition. I had seven really good quotes. But I wrote that because I was like, do you know what? It doesn't matter what's happened. And it doesn't matter what the mainstream say and I guess I'm still like that but how about I just throw my hat in the ring and see what happens and have fun doing it because something I've learned over the past seven years particularly is life's too short to be unhappy 
So have fun every day. Have a laugh. Do something for yourself. Be silly. And really don't worry about what other people think of you. Magic. It's been it's been magic speaking to you. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Next week is episode 71 with Amy White, who is a functional holistic nutritionist and lifestyle practitioner. Amy's hangry to healthy three-phase approach to health and weight loss makes it possible for anyone to achieve their goals because her step-by-step approach clears body imbalances and the very imbalances that cause fatigue and mood swings, sugar cravings, ravenous hunger, restless sleep and so on. So that's next week's episode with Amy White. If you know anyone who'd get some real value from some of the stuff that Magic shared with us, please do share the episode with them. And I hope you have a fantastic week. Thanks for tuning into the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. You can also sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.